Well, as we jump into the word this morning, man, the title of today's message is called Developed, Not Delayed. Why don't you write that down? Developed, Not Delayed. Uh, earlier this year, uh, I took a trip out to the West Coast and had an, an opportunity to go minister for the first time in Los Angeles. And was so excited to do so. And, uh, and I never travel alone. I, I always take someone with me. And, uh, and as I was doing this, uh, I got a family member who now works for one of the major airlines. And he's like, bro, look, let's go. And, uh, and I got the tickets. You fly with me for free, right? And I love that word free. It's my favorite word. I love that word so much. Right, but we all know that when something's free, it always costs something, right? Always. So we get to the airport, and he's like, hey, bro, look, we're, we're going to fly. The way we do it is we call standby. I've never done this before. He's like, we're going to fly standby. And I was like, all right. He said, so we just show up at the airport early, and, uh, and, then, and then we'll just we'll catch a flight. You know, and I was like, that's fantastic. We'll do that. That sounds amazing. Showed up to the airport super early on, on the, uh, the Saturday that we were leaving. And, uh, and first flight we get there, he's like, man, we might have to wait. And I was like, brother, look. You don't know who you're flying with. You're flying with God's favor, right? He loves me, right? The Lord loves me, right? And we're on mission, right? We're not just traveling to travel. We're preaching the word. Dude, come on, the captives are going to be set free, right? Come on, man, there's things that are happening. We're about the Lord's business, right? So we get there. We check in for the flight. And he's like, you just got to tell him that, that, uh, that we're here. And he's like, you tell him we're here, right? So we get there. And he comes back to me. He's not going to believe what happened. And I said, what happened? He says, bro, the upgrader is to first class. And I said, I told you. I was like, I told, you said we're going to wait in the airport and do all this, right? I was like, no, nah, dude, first class, right? And I walked in like it was on purpose. And I was like, yeah, it is, right? So I sat in a first class seat, and I liked it. I enjoyed it. I spread out, right? It's not like flying in the back. You know what I'm saying? In the back, there's crying babies. In the back, there's no seats. You know, it, it, it's terrible. And I'm a small, short, chubby Hispanic dude, right? And there's still no, there's no, there's still no room, right? It's hard. First class is nice. That is the way we should fly. That is the way I believe I was created to fly. That is nice, right? I was like, Lord, I'm finally stepping into what you're calling me to, right? I was like, this, this is great, right? Had a meal. It was awesome. I was like, dude, they feed you? What? He's like, can I get another drink? No problem, sir. What else would you like? I was like, well, what, what else is there to choose from, right? And I was like, I, didn't, I never know this. The people were always mean to me that asked for another bag of pretzels, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and they're actually nice. And so we get there, we, we minister, it was awesome, and it was great. And do the same thing flying back. Flying out of LAX, and, and he's like, bro, I just want to let you know, the airport's crazy, it, it's, it's nuts, especially we're flying on a Monday morning. You know, I just, just want to prepare you, right? And so we get there, and it's the longest line I've ever seen for TSA. The longest line, right? I mean, you would think that they're meeting a president, they're meeting The Rock, like something crazy is happening at this line, right? It's nuts, right? And as soon as we walk up, it says like TSA was like a 55-minute wait. And I was like, who has 55 minutes to get felt up by a TSA officer? Like, who, who does this, right? And so I was like, no. And as soon as we get to the line, I, I was like, Lord Jesus, we don't have time to wait. What are we doing? And as soon as we get to the line, this guy comes up to us and says, hey, are y'all pre-checked? And we said, yes. He said, upstairs, we just opened a line, and there's no wait. He said, yes, Lord, right? And I told him, I said, Bubba, look, that's what happens when you fly with God's favorite, right? We get there, get through TSA. It's great. It's awesome. And we go and we check in for our flight. And I tell Myrna, I say, hey, baby, look, we're catching the first flight out. I'll be home by 930. Get ready to pick me up. Right, we had, we had plans. The whole day was planned. We get there, we check in, and all of a sudden it starts to happen. All of a sudden we get in there, and the flight that's coming into L.A. that I'm taking out of L.A. into Dallas is delayed. I was like, no, that's not good. So then the first flight goes by. An hour later, the second flight goes by. 
Five flights later, I'm sitting in the LAX airport just contemplating life. Like, what are we doing? What am I doing? We got four shots left to get on a flight to make it back home. All of my plans are shot. Everything that I had planned for the day is done. All simply because of a delay. All because of a delay. Everything was happening, right? All these things were happening. So I have a bad attitude now. Before, I was like, Lord, I'm your favorite. You love me. You've chosen me. Lord, I, I am highly appointed. I am a blessed, highly favored. Yes, Lord, right? And now I'm sitting in the pit of despair in the LAX airport saying, oh, Lord, have you forgot about me? Like, what am I doing waiting with all these people? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it's happening. I'm like, Lord, what are we doing? And so I finally go up to the lady at the counter, and I said, ma'am, I just want to check on my name and where I'm at. She's like, okay, great. What are you flying? I was like, standby. She's like, what number are you? I said, I'm number seven. Right? Seven out of ten, solid. Right? She says, well, there's only six seats available. I said, but do you know who I am? I'm trying to get home. Right? I was like, just, I just try to pour it out. We get on the next flight out. And I'm sitting there, and, I, and I'm kind of frustrated, and, and, I'm, and I'm kind of mad, all because of this delay. All because of this thing. And as I'm sitting there, man, and I put my AirPods in, and, I, and I'm about to just watch a movie, and, I, I, and all honestly, I'm probably just going to take a nap and go to sleep. I feel a tap on my shoulder, and I was like, dude, what is going on? I look over, and this guy asks me this question. He says, is that your family? I'm like, bro, look, it would be super weird to have a picture of someone else's family on my iPad. And I'm in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, That's weird. Is, is that your family? And I was like, yeah. He's you got a beautiful family. I said, well, thank you. Now, number one, I've watched enough, enough Netflix documentaries to think this guy might be a serial killer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's like, are you flying home? And I know not to answer that question honestly. You know what I'm saying? He's like, no, nah, I'm catching a flight to, like, North Carolina. Where are you going, right? And so I was like, no, nah, bro, we're not doing this. And so we begin to chat. And for about three hours the whole way back, not watching a movie, I'm not doing anything, as this guy begins to pour his heart out to me about his father wounds, about where he's out in his third marriage, and all these different things, how he's learning how to be a dad again in his son's kids being a grandson. As I sit there in, in the midst of all of that and, and just begin to minister to this guy, just begin to talk, it wasn't anything that was deep or profound, but he just began to pour his heart out to me. I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me in that moment. He said, son, there's still things I'm trying to develop in you. There's still things that I'm trying to bring out in you. What you saw was a de delay was actually development that I'm doing inside of you. What you saw was something that was stopping you or preventing you from progressing. I'm actually developing in you. This is a definition of delay. I want you guys to, to check this out. Delay is this. It's postponing, hindering, or causing something to occur more slowly than normal. You know, as we, end, as we end the year, and we're in November, right? And November's pretty much over because Thanksgiving. And then Christmas is pretty much over because of Thanksgiving, right? The end of the year is happening. The end of the year is here. It, it, it's gone. Maybe you started 2023. You started with such optimism. You said, this is going to be the year, finally a financial breakthrough. This is going to be the year that I see the breakthrough in my marriage. This is going to be the year that I see my kids turn back to the Lord. Maybe this is my year. And you've sat there, and January came. In February, we came and into the summer, and now we're looking, sitting at the 11th month of the year with one month left. And you're sitting there looking, and you say, Lord, what are we doing? Well, I, I felt like, like, like I was doing something good. I felt like we were, we were on our way. And it's like sitting at like a, like a train station or sitting at, at, at the airport, and all of a sudden, everybody else is boarding their flight. Everybody else is getting up and doing something. Everybody else is moving forward, and you feel like I'm sitting still watching life pass me by. And you feel like you've been stuck in this spot. 
where all of a sudden the, the growth that you had is occurring more slowly than you thought. But I would challenge you that you're not being delayed, you're being developed. And this is the definition of develop. Deve develop is to grow or cause to grow and become more mature. The Lord's doing something in you. He's not just leaving you to sit just for the sake of sitting. He wasn't bored and forgot about what's going on in Ukraine and Israel and forgot all, all, all about you over here in the United States. But what the Lord is actually doing is developing something in you. In Genesis chapter 37, we're going to be hanging out in Genesis chapter 40 this morning, but in Genesis chapter 37, we see this guy and we're introduced to this teenager by the name of Joseph. And he's 17 years old. And Joseph is the second youngest son to his dad, Jacob. He's got a, a, a 11, brothers and, or 11 brothers, and he is his dad's favorite. So much so that he wears a special coat that's ornate, it's beautiful, it's great. Man, he has this amazing coat. It's gorgeous. And he knows he's the favorite. When you know you're the favorite, when you know there's favor on your life, you act different. You walk different. Everything that you demand is way different. The way you speak, the way you talk, everything is different about you. And Joseph, he acts this way. So much so that all of his brothers, they actually hate him. They despise him. The Lord would give Jacob, uh, Joseph these, these prophetic dreams. And he would have these dreams. He would come back and he would tell them to his brothers. And he would say, hey, in this dream that I had, there were all these stocks of wheat. Right? And there was, there was 11 of them. And I was the 12th one. And all the 11 stocks of wheat were surrounded. They, they were surrounding me and they were all bowing down to me. And his brothers would ask him, say, bro, you really think that that is us bowing down to you? He said, yeah, probably. Yeah, I think so. He had, he had another dream, right? You know that annoying brother? He's like, dude, I don't like you, right? And the beauty about, about younger siblings is that you can really put them in their place. Right what I'm saying? But it's got to be with tact. Mom and dad aren't looking, right? And you don't leave bruises, right? You just got to, you load that sock with a couple cuties, whap, right? Just pro tip of the day, right? And so anyway, so... so I haven't done that. But anyway, so, so we see this thing. He has a second dream. And he tells them all about this dream, about how the sun, the moon, and the stars are all bowing down to him. He said, you think even that's our parents, right? They hate him so much that one day the, the brothers are out doing the father's business. They're out attending sheep. And Joseph comes out to them. And they hate him so much that they have intent in their hearts to kill him. They have intent in their hearts to kill him. But Reuben, his, his older brother, he jumps in and says, but we should not kill him. But let's go ahead and dump him in this hole, Right? Like, we just stick them in this hole. They stick them in this cistern that has no water in it. And they're trying to figure this whole thing out. What do you do now that your younger brother's in the hole, right? You have a couple of options. You can get him out. You can leave him. I think that's about it, right? I'm saying, I'm saying it's like, what do you do? You know what I'm saying? You, you, have, you have limited options. And these Ishmaelites are coming by, and the other brothers conspired. It says, we're going to sell our brother Joseph for 20 pieces of silver, and we're going to get him the heck out of here. His smart mouth and everything that he's been doing, all, all the dumb favoritism that he had, like, bro, get the heck out. Right? If you think, if you're dreading Thanksgiving, just be thankful you don't have a family that's put you in a hole and try to sell you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, <laughs> put it in perspective. You know what I'm saying? Some people are like, oh, I don't want to do Thanksgiving because so-and-so's -so got a big mouth. It's like, check it out. He put you in a hole, right? So you have this thing. They sell him to the Ishmaelites, and he gets shipped off to, to Egypt. He goes to Egypt. He ends up working for this guy named, named Potiphar. They, they trick uh, 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 Joseph's dad, Jacob, by telling him he was eaten by wild animals and all these different things. They take his, his coat and dip it in blood and show it to their dad. Say, Dad, he's gone. He's been eaten, right? And crazy times that you live in that that's actually a plausible thing to happen to somebody. They were eaten by an animal, you know, like we wouldn't believe that now, right? And so you see these things happen. 
where he goes and he's working for Potiphar. And, and Potiphar is actually one of Pharaoh's high officials. And he's working in the house. And the favor of the Lord is on Joseph wherever he goes. And wherever he goes, everything is blessed. And everywhere he goes, everything grows and all these things happen. When Potiphar's wife begins to take notice of Joseph. And, and, and Joseph begins to resist her advances. And finally, he's accused of sexual assault. And he's put in prison. And Joseph is waiting in prison. A fully innocent man did, did nothing with this lady, but a fully innocent man sitting in prison. Could you imagine that all the dreams that God had given you, right, all the prophetic words that you've had, all the, all the things that you know God has called you to, to all of a sudden be sitting in a spot where you're like, Lord, do you even know who I am? Lord, I'm so far down. I'm in this pit. I'm in this dungeon. Lord, when I pray, does it even get out? Like, like, Lord, where am I? What am I doing? And wherever Joseph was, he was favored. He ended up being put over the, these certain people, right? He, he had different kind of rankings within the prison system. He was the guy running stuff. And all of a sudden, he gets these two inmates that come in. They're the cupbearer for Pharaoh and the baker. The baker and the cupbearer. And they get thrown into prison, and Joseph begins to take over them, and, and he gets to, to, uh, to, to oversee them. And we'll pick it up right here in Genesis chapter 40, starting in verse 4, and it reads like this. It says, after they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. Each had a dream, uh, each, each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? They answered, he says, we both had dreams, they answered, but there was no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. In the midst of what's going on with Joseph, he understands and he sees these, these two men. He sees these two guys. That were in, in, in high, uh, you, you know, they, they were close to the Pharaoh. I mean, you, you got to understand and put yourself where, where they were in the kind of context of the times. The cupbearer was someone that held a very, very, very important role of, of the king or serving the Pharaoh. Because if they were going to poison him, they would typically poison that stuff, right? And so the cupbearer would have to drink it before. Talk about a risky job, right? OSHA would not approve that. Now, you'd have to drink it, and they would look at you for a little bit, and if you didn't die, it was permissible to drink. Right? But if you did die, the guy would thank you and push you out and hire a new cupbearer. Right? Like, like, what a risky job. And so the cupbearer finds himself in prison along with the baker, the guy that would make all of these, all these treats for Pharaoh, right? all of this stuff. Right? Same thing, same premise. Got to make sure it's not polluted and tainted. And they find themselves in prison. And they find themselves interacting with Joseph. And he notices that they wake up one day and, and they're not the normal selves. I would imagine they hadn't been their normal selves since they got put in prison, but they're extremely not their normal selves this day. He said, we're troubled because of these dreams we had. And they begin to pour out the dreams to, to Joseph. They begin to tell him what the dreams are. And, and the, uh, the, the cupbearer begins to tell him, he's like, man, I had this dream of these grapes on this vine, and, and I was squeezing the, the grapes into the cup, and, you know, what does all of this mean? And Joseph tells him, bro, you're going to be restored back to your position as cupbearer. He's like, awesome, that's great. Then the, the baker comes to him and says, tell me my dream. And the baker begins to lay out his dream. He's like, in my dream, I had this basket of bread on my head. And, uh, and then the birds were eating the, the, the bread out of the basket. You know, what does it mean? And Joseph tells him, it means you're going to die. I was like, no, 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 interpret it again. You know what I'm saying? He's like, no, 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 make it better like the, like the cupbearer guy. He's like, no, bro, you're going to die. 
He says, it means that the birds can be pegging out your eyeballs. You can be hanging and impaled and all these things, right? He's like, no, that's not the way you want to interpret a dream. That, I was like, no, I'm going to have another one. Interpret that one. That one's going to be better, right? And so we see this thing happen. We pick it up, we're going to skip down to verse 20 of Genesis chapter 40. It says, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted, he lifted up the heads of the cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the cupbearer back to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hands. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. In verse 23, it says, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot. See, the whole thing is Joseph was telling them these dreams. Joseph said, look, man, if you would, when you get restored, when this thing comes true, remember me. When this thing comes true, remember me. When you're standing next to Pharaoh, when you're standing there, remember me. Bro, remember that, that, uh, of what I, I've done for you, the interpretation that I had for you. Please remember me. Please remember me. Joseph is looking for any lifeline to get out of that prison. And when he was looking for God to act in the prison, God was acting in a different place. When he thought, God, my miracle, my saving grace, my deliverance is coming from here, the Lord was working out something completely different in a different location and a different place. You can see this, that the power of God is still on Joseph very powerfully as, able, as he's able to interpret dreams. He's got favor where he's at. He was simply being developed. All of the dreams, all of the things that he had, 17 years from the moment that we see this thing happen. And he's 17 years old when he has these dreams. 13 years later, he finds himself in the midst of this dungeon, in the midst of this prison. Having his family had rejected him. Having his family had sold him. I mean, the only reason why he's here is because his brothers put him in that pit and sold him out. The only reason why he's there is because all of a sudden this person lied against him. And this is where I'm at. The only reason why he's here is because he's been falsely accused. Everybody's jealous of what he had to do. All of these things, right? I'd imagine those are all the thoughts that ran inside of his head. And the Lord was saying, Joseph, I have a big plan for you. Joseph, I, great, I, got, I, mean, I need you so much. I mean, I need you, all of these things. But what you can't have are all of those things. Man, I got to develop that out of you. Joseph, I, I, I got to make sure that we get those things out of you because where I'm sending you and where I'm going to place you, there's no place for all of those things. And we see that while he's in this pit, while he's in this dungeon, the Lord is working on Joseph. For two years, he was forgot about. Could you imagine all of a sudden it comes by your hope, your glimmer of hope to get out, and then it just whooshes by you. Like, Lord, what are we doing? Lord, I, I thought this was it. The cupbearer's been restored. The baker's dead. What is going on, Lord? And for two years, he was forgot about. For two years, Joseph sat in that prison until he would later again be restored. But we see that he was sitting in this prison, not being delayed, but being developed. Maybe you feel like you're in a similar spot where this year has got you in this place. You're like, Lord, what are we doing? I thought we were moving in a positive direction. And now you feel like maybe things have come to a halt. Maybe things have slowed down. Maybe, maybe things have stopped. And you feel like, Lord, what are we doing? I feel like I'm in this delay. Well, maybe you need to change your perspective and say, Lord Jesus, maybe I'm just being developed. Lord, because I know that you are God who doesn't lie. I know your promises for me are yes and amen. 
Lord, I, I know that you have set me up, Lord Jesus, not to harm me, but to prosper me. So, Father God, I know you not to be a liar. So, Lord Jesus, I know you wouldn't leave me nor forsake me. So, Lord Jesus, you're somewhere in this. So, Father God, how do I begin to develop in the delay? I want to give you four things I want you writing down on how you can begin to develop in the delay. The first thing is this right here. Is you got to find contentment in the circumstance. you got to find contentment in the circumstance. This is what it says right here in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. It says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So I, I know how to be brought low and, and I know how to abound. In, in, in any and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. In verse 13, it's a quote in verse, it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is writing this from prison. He's writing this being, being chained up. I mean, this is a, a terrible circumstance. And Paul is writing that I have learned. I have learned to be in content in all things. I have learned to be content in all of this. Lord, Lord, whatever it may be, in the times of plenty and in the times of little. In, in the times of favor and the times of being left out. Right? I, I feel all that. And Lord Jesus, I've learned to be content in all of that. I think the first thing we need to do is begin to, begin to find contentment in the circumstance. But we can get into this spot where we love to do this. It's great. It's fun. It, it, it makes us feel a little bit better. And it's this word called complaining. Oh, we love to do it. Oh, my gosh. And guess what? Misery is a party. Misery loves company, right? And so, man, the more people we can get. But check this out. It actually has a negative effect on your brain. This, this research from Stanford University has shown that complaining uh, it shrinks the hippocampus. Everybody knows about that, the hippocampus. Like, yeah, it shrinks it, right? This is an area of the brain that has critical, that's critical to problem solving and intelligent thought. That actually complaining makes you dumber. That, that, that as you complain and as you do this, you're actually limiting yourself. Man, we get into this spot where we like, oh my gosh. And guess what else we love to do? We love to resist. Oh, we love to fight. Like, dude, this is not good. They're not going to get me, right? I'm going to hold out, right? All of these things. When I first got married, uh, uh, Myrna took me to the doctor. I was really sick, and, uh, and she didn't know I had this thing called uh, trypanophobia. I didn't know I had it either. I didn't know I had a name. I just knew that I didn't like it. And, uh, and so I had trypanophobia. She had no idea what it was. And so she takes me to the doctor. She's like, I'm sick. Can you take me to the doctor? She's like, yeah, this is great. We're newlyweds. Been married like six months. You don't have to do anything for you at this point, right? It's awesome. It's great. So she takes me to the doctor. She said, I'll get you some soup and we'll get you something warm, right? Now she's like, fend for yourself. You know what I'm like? She's like, we've got a life insurance policy. You either make it or you don't. But either way, I make it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, she's like, either way. She's like, kids, y'all start picking out colleges you want to go to in case your dad doesn't make it. Like, what are we doing? Like, that's not helpful. That's not good. So we get, we get to the doctor and, uh, and I have trypanophobia and I didn't know it was a name. But I hate needles. Oh, my gosh, I hate needles so much, okay? And, and so I told Myrna, I was like, Myrna, I don't like needles. It's like, tell him not to give me a shot, right? First thing the lady looks at me, she says, he needs a shot. I'm like, no, I don't need a shot. And I'm too sick to defend myself. And Myrna's like, yeah, give it to him. And I was like, no. No, we're not, we're not doing this. And so, and so for whatever reason, they like the, uh, the rear Netherlands of to give you a shot, right? And so, and so the lady's like, okay, just go ahead and lay down on, on the thing and, and, uh, and you know, we're going we're gonna to stab you with a piece of metal, right? And I was like, 
Oh my gosh. So so I'm I'm sweating profusely. I'm super clammy. I'm like <sighs> I got labored breathing, right? And so I'm laying and you know you know that weird uh, uh, like tissue paper they put on the on the bed, right? It's sticking to me. You know what I'm saying? And I'm making so much noise. And, and so so the lady's like I'm going to give you a second to get ready and I'm going to come back in. And I was like, "Mona, we have to leave now." Like this is when we go, right? And so she's like, "No, it's going to be fine. I'll hold your hand." I was like, "Woman, you have no idea, right?" So she's holding my hand. The lady walks in. Right, I know why they put blinders on horses, is so they don't do what I did, right? She comes in, and like she's trying to like sneak around me, right? I kicked her in the hips hard, like like not not like not like maliciously, right? And then and then starts this game of like trying to find me. I have no pants on, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like this is this is, and my wife's looking at me like this is my husband, you know what I'm saying? She's like, I love him so much, right? But it was crazy, and I resisted the entire time. I resisted, I resisted. I didn't want to do it, right? So finally she sticks me, right? And it's like, oh, my gosh. It was three days later, then I start to feel better. But the entire process of resisting is what we love to do. And I think sometimes what happens is, is the Lord is waiting on us to stop resisting. Because he's not going to force his will on us. He's not going to do that. He's waiting on you, son. Will you find contentment in the circumstance in which you're at? Daughter, will you be content with where I got you right now? As we're not delaying you, but we're actually developing you. Will you not resist? Will you go ahead and say, Lord Jesus, all right, will you submit to the process? I know you're not going to like it. I know it may be uncomfortable. I know it may be different for you. I understand that it's not the thing that you like so much, but I'll tell you this, it's what you need. Man, as we begin to find that contentment in that, I think we really start that developing process. The second thing is this right here, is you got to know God's developing what you don't have. you got to know the Lord's developing in you what you don't already have. He's creating something in you that you don't have. In James chapter 1, verse, uh, uh, starting in verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, I don't like that, but it says I have to consider it pure joy. Right? It says because, you know, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Whenever you need advice, whenever you, you need something in a certain area, you never go to somebody that's been in it a month. You know, if you, if you need marriage advice, you don't go to somebody that's been married, you know, three months. Got all the answers. It's like, no, you don't, dude. Not even close, right? You go to somebody that's been in it a while. You never go find somebody that's fresh in it. You never go find somebody that, that's just started or, or read a book about it. You go to somebody that's actually lived it. You go to somebody that's been through something that is mature. Somebody that, that, that's got something that, that's built in them. You know they got a little bit of that grit, right? Just this year, you may or may not know this, but just this year, for the first time in 52 years, the Texas Rangers won the World Series, right? It was a great day for me. I loved it. It was awesome. I cried. I rolled on the floor. I was like, this is great, right? I loved it. Called my dad. We had those moments. I love you, son. Right? It was just, it was that thing. It was awesome. It was great. The parade was lame, but we don't focus on that, right? It was, the parade was terrible. But you see, one of the major changes that they did was they brought in a coach by the name of Bruce Bochy. And Bruce Bochy, the, the general manager, had a lot of experience. Check this out. He had nine series as a, uh, nine seasons as a player, 26 seasons as a manager with over 4,164 games. He had four World Series wins. He's only one in six managers to do that. This guy had a lot of experience. 
And every time after when the Rangers would go on a hot streak or a cold streak, it was great to watch Bruce Bochy. His, his reaction was the exact same. We play baseball tomorrow. It's like, well, Bruce, what about this, this hot streak that you guys are on? The guys are swinging a bat swell, and the defense is killing it. What do you think about it? It's like, yep, we got a baseball game tomorrow. It was great when they, when they, when they you know, swept the first round of the wild card thing. He's like, hey, man, how do you guys feel traveling across the country, doing all this stuff? we got a game tomorrow. And it was great to watch him. And when we finally beat the Houston Astros in the ALCS, whew, that was good. That was great. What did Bruce Bochy say? we got to win four more. It wasn't until after the whole thing that I think he maybe cracked a little bit of a smile. And I don't even think he's still happy about it. I don't know. He's thinking baseball season starts again in 162 days. we got another game next week, right? But it's crazy that all of a sudden, and they would ask the players, what do you think is going on in the clubhouse? What do you think is going on? He's like, Bruce. Bruce doesn't let us get all up in our emotions. Bruce doesn't let us kind of get all twisted in this, that, and the other. He keeps us steady, and he keeps us straight. See, the Lord's developing something in you that you don't yet have, that you're going to need. Something that you're going to need, something experience, whatever it may be, that he's developing that in you now. Because you don't yet have it. He's developing that thing in you right now. The third thing is this right here. If we're going to keep developing in the delay, you got to do this. You have to continue to develop others. In Genesis chapter 40, verse 6, we see Joseph woke up the next morning and he saw that they were dejected. Joseph walked up. He woke up in the morning and he noticed that these two guys that, that worked for Pharaoh, the cupbearer and the baker, he turned his attention off of him and the sorrow that he's at. Instead of telling them all the story, let me tell you about Potiphar's wife, she's crazy. He didn't tell him, let me tell you my backstory about how my brothers hate me. They threw me in a hole and sold me for 20 pieces of silver to these uh, uh, Ishmaelites and all this stuff. He didn't do that. He woke up and he saw that these men needed something. He continued to develop others where they were at. He helped them get to the spot on which they were going. He helped them to say, hey, man, where you're at right now, I might not be able to help myself right now, but I can help you get to where you're going. See, I have this problem when it comes to road trips. When we go somewhere, I don't enjoy, the road trip is not part of the enjoyment at all. The end result is we can have fun. We have to make it six hours in the car till we get to fun. So the faster we can make that happen, then we get to fun. My wife's like, let's stop at Starbucks and let's have fun. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like traffic is going to happen and we're going to be late. And then, and then like, I want to get to the hotel. If I can check in at three, if I can check in at three, I'm getting there at 258. I'm maximizing my time in the hotel. You know what I'm saying? If I show up at 5 o'clock, I lost money. I'm already losing. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, no, no, I have to get there at 3. So I won't enjoy, I won't enjoy. I won't, like, like we can't have fun until we get there. And she's like, well, let's put good music. Because you put whatever you want. And you three can have fun. But me, I'm on focus. I'm mission, right? You know what I'm saying? She's like, well, oh, look, the biggest ball of yarn. I was like, look at it as we drive past it. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not stopping. I don't like that. But we see that sometimes we can get so focused on that. I mean, we can get so focused on what we're going through and where we're at. And Lord, where are you that we help, we, we forget to help others around us. One of my favorite stories is this is Paul. As Paul appeals to Caesar, he's going to go, and he's going to go to Rome. And he's going to go tell them about, about, you know, hey man, I've been mistreated and all these things are happening. As they're sailing out, they get shipwrecked on the island of Malta. 
what they had actually planned to do was actually to leave Paul. They were going to leave him and, and just let him die, right? But he's like, no, guys, we're not going to do this. They all get to the island of Malta. Paul had just been shipwrecked. Not only that, but the moment he gets to the island of Malta, he builds a fire. Out of the fire comes a viper that bites him, right? All these terrible things are happening to Paul. But in the midst of all of those things, Paul remains on mission. I might not be at the final destination of where I'm at. I'm going to Rome, but I'm stuck here in Malta. And while I'm here in Malta, I might as well do something productive. And he begins to win the entire island to Jesus. See, we can get sometimes so focused on, Lord, I'm not where I need to be. Lord, I'm, I'm not even in a spot where I'm good with it, where we can forget you can minister right where you're at. And I think part of what we do and part of the development that we have is when we take on that mentality that no, no matter where I'm at, no matter my circumstances, no matter what's going on, Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit still lives in me. And the power that rose Christ from the dead, it flows through my veins. And so I'm a minister no matter where I'm at. I'm a minister no matter my title. I'm a minister no matter the circumstances. Lord, if I can bring heaven down where I'm at, then Lord Jesus, let's do it. We can be in this spot where we can help people get to what God's called them to do. And the fourth thing is this right here that I want you guys to write down is you have to be confident that God is working on your behalf. you got to be confident that God is working on your behalf. Man, we love the woe is me. Lord, you forgot about me. Do you know who I am? Oh, Lord, look, look for me. Right, we can get all into that. But we have to be confident the Lord is working on your behalf. All of this happened for Joseph. All these terrible things. These, these horrible things happened for Joseph. After Joseph, he interprets the, the cupbearer's dream. Two years later, he remains in prison. And in a moment's notice, he's brought out. He, for, for, in a moment's notice, he goes from rags to riches, from the pit to the palace. I mean, in a moment's notice, everything changes for him as Pharaoh has a dream that he begins to tell the cupbearer about. He says, bro, I, I had this dream. Do you know anybody that can interpret it? And he says, I remember this guy by the name of Joseph. Well, do you know where he's at? Has he moved away? I'm pretty sure he hasn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, nah, I think I know where he's at, actually. He goes and he finds him. He brings Joseph up. Joseph interprets the dream. Joseph interprets this dream, and, and, and it basically was this, that there was going to be seven years of plenty, there's going to be seven years of famine. And that Egypt needed to store one-fifth of all that they had, and they needed to store that up in the storehouse to make sure they had enough for their people in the times of little, during the famine. And so Pharaoh says, oh, my gosh, bro, that's the word of the Lord. That's what we needed. And he comes and he promotes him. And he reports to nobody other than Pharaoh. And Joseph begins to step and walk into the very thing that God had called him to. The dreams and all these things that he had. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph has this opportunity to finally stare face to face with his family. His brothers that put him in the pit. His brothers that threw him in this hole. And I'd imagine part of the thing that the Lord was working out in Joseph was knowing that this moment eventually would come. And if he hadn't worked out or developed all of those things in Joseph, that the anger, the bitterness, the hatred would have shown through. And if he had an opportunity to meet him with the power to exercise just about anything that he wanted, he could have put them in the pit. Man, he could have put them in prison. He could have turned them away. But what the Lord needed was a soft heart. What the Lord needed was somebody that would have compassion on him in this moment. And Joseph is talking to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And this is what he tells them. He tells them this. He says, you intended to harm me. He says, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving 
of many lives. See, what we think sometimes is, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, where are you at? We get into these spots, you're like, Lord, are you even, are you even working for me? What is going on? Now, we can take hope and confidence that the Lord is working everything on our behalf. That he's working in us, that he hasn't forgot about us, he hasn't delayed us, but he's actually developing something in us. Because he knows where he's taking us, man, you can't do it in your own strength and your own power. And the thing that he's promised you, the thing that he's prophesied, the very thing that he needs you to do, man, there's some development that you need happening on the inside of you so that when you get there, you don't mess it up. So when you get there, you don't stare at him and say, bro, look, we're about to throw hands. You don't know what you did to me 17 years ago? They didn't even recognize their brother. They didn't even recognize who he was. And he comes and he has this, this moment with them. What the Lord meant for evil, what you intended for harm, where the Lord brought about something amazing out of that. What you feel like the enemy is doing in your life to harm you, let me tell you this and infuse you with some confidence, the Lord is working out for your good. What you think, man, all of a sudden I'm in this spot where it's not good, Lord, can you bring anything good out of it? Let me tell you something, he's working it for your good. Man, let's not delay the development, but let's begin to say, Lord Jesus, whatever you need to develop in me, whatever you need to develop out of me, Lord Jesus, I give it to you. Father, whatever you would need from me, Lord, I surrender, Lord, I submit, whatever it would be. Lord Jesus, I give in to the process. Lord, I give in to the development. Father, God, make me what you need me to be. If you would stand across the sanctuary with us this morning. We are honored that you spent your morning with us. If you decided for the first time to serve Jesus, text the word DECIDED to 972-586-2246. We want to connect with you and we want to celebrate the amazing journey that you're about to start. Don't forget, we'll be back next week, same time at 9 a.m. and sermons anytime on our YouTube channel. Until next time, we hope you had an amazing day and don't forget, we love you.